0: i spent my 18th birthday in france uh, i was in uh, france as i was competing in europe on the 1996 uh, world cup tour for wild water kayaking and round one uh, was on the weekend of my 18th birthday and so we were competing uh, on a river in the south of france uh, at the presentation ceremony and and dinner I was interviewed on Eurosport Live TV. Uh, it was all pretty exciting uh, for, for a kid who had not ventured very far from New South Wales before uh, and here was now on the other side of the world caught up in this uh, exciting uh, sport. Uh, now, the interview was quite fun. The, 20 years ago, 21 years ago, I had a very thick Aussie accent uh, from the bush. Uh, from a working class family. And uh, the crowd were fairly captivated uh, by that accent. We had a lot of fun in the interview and uh, the French interviewer, well, being my 18th birthday, he asked me in his best Aussie impersonation, would you like a Foster's beer, mate? Now, I grew up in a family that didn't drink alcohol that didn't go anywhere near alcohol, and I had no intention of drinking beer just because I had uh, turned 18. And now being asked in this big crowded room on live TV about would I have a foster's mate uh, was a fairly uncomfortable question for me. During the week uh, leading up to the first round of racing, Uh, I'd been getting to know a French guy. He was a a French kayak legend, Jean Pascal. Uh, He had been appointed to our team to be a kind of uh, mentor while we were on the World Cup tour. And Jean Pascal, he was a lot of fun. Uh, He'd been teaching us some French phrases, how to speak French. And so I thought, now with this awkward beer question on live TV... I would roll out one of the French phrases that Jean Pascal had taught me. So when I was asked, would you like a Foster's beer, mate? I was going to say in French, I like to drink wild white water. I thought that's a pretty hardcore extreme thing for a kayaker who's come from wild Australia uh, to say only that Jean Pascal had been playing a joke on me. And so in front of a thousand kayakers and special guests, beamed live across Europe on TV live, what I actually said was, I like to drink toilet water. (laughs) Diverse language is a barrier to communication. Now, there's lots to celebrate and enjoy about diversity in language and culture. I know some of you come from different ethnic backgrounds where you have grown up with a different language. I know some of us here who have enjoyed learning other languages but every time language keeps us apart from someone, every time language makes it hard for us to connect with others, we feel every bit of the curse that God placed on humanity in mixing up languages. Remember the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babel? Genesis chapter 11, humanity banded together to build this mighty tower because they wanted to make a great name for themselves in place of God. God responded in judgment by frustrating their languages and dispersing them. They were confused. And so ever since, diverse language is a barrier to communication and so diverse language is a barrier to the gospel reaching out. So when Jesus leaves his disciples in Jerusalem with his mission to reach out to the ends of the earth how are they going to bear witness to him from Jerusalem to the diverse speaking ends of the earth? How are they going to go through Judea and into Samaria? How are they going to go across the Mediterranean? How are they going to go through Europe How are they going to go to every indigenous home on the planet? How are they going to come to Australia in English and the hundreds of Aboriginal dialects? How will Jesus' disciples bear witness to him? Well, Jesus will do it by sending his Holy Spirit from the Father, just as he promised to equip his church to reach out beyond the fringe. This is what we see in Acts uh, chapter 2. In verses 1 to 4, we are told of the phenomenal arrival of the Holy Spirit. Uh, In Old Testament times, God's Spirit had been present on earth at particular times, in particular places, on particular people. Usually those who were the anointed leaders or those who were set apart as prophets to speak God's Word on behalf of Him. God's Spirit was present in particular ways, but now is present in all believers. I'm not sure who said this first, but it's helpful to hear, and so I can't reference who's, who said it first. But this is helpful for us to hear. At creation, we see God over us. In the law, God is against us. At Bethlehem, we see God is with us. At Calvary, the cross, we see God is for us. At Pentecost, God is in us. Now, the Pentecost celebration is 50 days after Passover. Uh, In the Jewish calendar, it coincides with the barley harvest, but it marks the completion of God's salvation of his Old Testament people. I remember in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus where God's people the Israelites were slaves in Egypt the first Passover was when God intervened to rescue his people out of Egypt away from the Pharaoh and to lead them lead them out across the Red Sea through the wilderness and to the prom, to Mount Sinai and then to the promised land. Passover was the rescue event Pentecost, 50 days later in Jewish celebration, coincides with when the Israelites received the law at Mount Sinai and there were set apart as God's people. Pentecost marks the completion of salvation for God's Old Testament people. Here in Acts chapter 2, this Pentecost day, this particular Pentecost day, is the completion of salvation for Jesus' New Testament people. We have Jesus' disciples waiting in Jerusalem just like Jesus had told them to do. See that there in verse 1? They're all together in one place. Waiting, remember, for the gift that would come from the Father. They're waiting. Verse 2, suddenly a sound of a violent wind comes. Not a usual wind or not a usual sound of a wind. This wind comes from heaven. And the disciples see, in verse 3, they see tongues of fire uh, that separate and come down on each of them. Now in the past, when uh, God has visited his people... This has been a fairly uh, corporate experience. It's been for the benefit of everyone together. But here in the fire, tongues of fire separating and landing on each one, we see that this visitation of God by His Spirit is personal and individual. Have a look there in verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They speak in other languages, in other tongues. The the word that's used there for tongues, you might see a footnote in your Bible, languages. We know that, uh, and and, and the 15 foreign language groups that are then mentioned there in this chapter, they understand uh, what they are saying. A different word is used in verse 6 and verse 8, Uh, In our church Bibles, that's translated there as languages. It could also be uh, dialects. As they're speaking in tongues, they're speaking in intelligible languages of people from other places. Uh, Verse 11 also says that they were declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This is not some unintelligible uh, babbling This is not a frustrating moment like uh, the Tower of Babel was as people spoke uh, different languages. This was a unifying, this was a bringing together as people heard together the mighty works of God from Jesus' disciples. Well, we don't need Peter's explanation that comes later in the chapter and that we're going to look at next week. We don't need that to tell us what this is. This is the Holy Spirit's arrival to equip the church to reach out, starting in Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, during Pentecost celebrations, Jerusalem's population, which is normally less than 100,000, could swell to almost a million people coming there for the Pentecost celebration. And this crowd that hears the disciples speaking of the mighty works of God as the Spirit comes with on them and within them, enabling them, this crowd are stopped in their tracks. You see verse 5? Now they were staying, visiting in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. This crowd comes together. We don't know how big the crowd is, but as the events unfold across this day and Peter explains what's going on, by the time we get to verse 41 and the crowd are starting to understand what is going on and have heard Peter speak, 3,000 of them become believers. So we're dealing with a pretty big crowd here that hears this. And when this crowd hears the sound, they came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They are stopped in their tracks. Verse 7, they are utterly amazed. They ask this question, how? Why are these Galileans speaking our own languages that we understand? Galileans! They're looked down on as the uneducated bogans not the kind of people that you'd expect to be multilingual. They're the kind of people like me, a young backwater Aussie in France trying to speak French on national TV. They are utterly amazed. Verse 12, they are amazed and perplexed. Verse 13, some of them even mock. They make fun of them and say they've had too much wine what is this what is going on well this is the fulfillment that we expect of acts chapter 1 verse 8 this is the fulfillment of what jesus said was going to happen this is the fulfillment of what jesus disciples were expecting this is the fulfillment of what we're expecting this is the fulfillment of what catches up us up today in jesus mission Chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the Holy Spirit's personal arrival in believers to equip us for Jesus' mission. Now Luke wants us to see here, in Acts chapter 2, that the first and then every activity of the church is an activity of the Holy Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit that these men and women speak. Luke wants us to see here that the first and every activity of believers on Jesus' mission to bear witness to him is empowered by the Holy Spirit because this phenomenal and supernatural miracle doesn't just draw attention to itself it is not an experience for those who are caught up in it but verse 11 it all happens to enable them to declare the wonders of God in diverse languages Jesus sends his Holy Spirit from the Father to equip his church to reach out. Do you have Jesus' Spirit in you? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Acts 2 describes for us the coming of the Holy Spirit. But what those believers experienced that day is not prescribed. You see, you and I and every other believer right back to that day need not have the same experience that those disciples had that day, we need not have that same experience to assure us that we have the Spirit. We don't see anywhere else in the rest of the book of Acts or anywhere else in the New Testament in any of the pastoral letters an expectation that to be a Christian, to be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus, to be on Jesus' mission, that you have to have the same experience as the disciples at Pentecost in order for you to have the Holy Spirit. So how do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? Look with me please across in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2 verse 38. I'm not going to put these verses on the screen because I want you to look these ones up for yourself so you know where they are in your Bible because they're very important verses. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. How do you know that you have the Spirit? Peter replied, Repent, And be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. How do you know you've got the Holy Spirit? Because you've turned to Jesus in repentance been baptised in his name, a person who is of faith, a person who believes the promises of God and you have the Holy Spirit. How do we know we have the Holy Spirit in us? Turn now please to Romans chapter 8. Romans is the very next book in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. A very important chapter for understanding the work of the Spirit, particularly in us and among us now, as we live in a frustrated and broken world. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. How do you know that you have the Holy Spirit in you? What is the experience of having the Holy Spirit in you? Verse 15. For you, believers, Christians followers of Jesus, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of sonship and by him, by the spirit we cry Abba, Father to God. Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. How do you know that you have the Spirit? Well, having the Spirit is evidenced in calling God Father and then living a life of obedience to Him. This, this what we see in Acts 2, this what we see in Romans 8 is the supernatural and phenomenal phenomenal experience of the Spirit for every Christian. You see, what's more amazing than any particular experience we might have at the point at which we are converted, whether that's a moment in history or spread out across many years, what's more amazing than any particular experience we might have is the reality that now we have the Holy Spirit in us. If you've turned to Jesus in repentance and faith, if you've taken hold of the promises of God for you, if you can call God Father, if you are seeking to live a life of obedience to Him, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He's present in you to equip you for Jesus' mission, to equip you for bearing witness to Jesus at home, at school, at university, at work, at church, in the community, to the ends of the earth. We are equipped. Now, for most of us, and this is certainly my personal experience, and what what I see is, I keep reading the Bible, for most of us, the Spirit's equipping of us for Jesus' mission comes in fairly ordinary kind of ways. Learning a Gospel outline is being equipped by the Spirit for Jesus' mission. Taking some time out to study common objections to Christianity and the Gospel is being equipped for the mission. Going along on the 4th of March to the Requip workshop, how to talk to your friends about Jesus, is part of God's gift to us by His Spirit to see us equipped for Jesus' mission to reach out to the ends of the earth. Learning another language. French, German, Arabic, Cantonese, Mandarin. Mandarin. Through these fairly ordinary kind of things, the Spirit enables us to reach out to see people drawn to Jesus. Uh, William Cameron Townsend is the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators. And he says this, "'The greatest missionary is the Bible in the mother tongue. It never needs a furlough, never needs a holiday.'" And it is never considered a foreigner. The greatest missionary is the Bible in the mother tongue. You see, as Jesus' gospel goes, it reaches out to the ends of the earth, we need people who know diverse languages and can operate and communicate in them. As Julie led us in prayer earlier, we, we gave thanks for the work of the Bible Society, which is having its 200th anniversary celebration this year. The vision of the Bible Society in Australia is this, to see all people engaged with the Bible in a language they can understand, in a format they can use, and at a price they can afford. This is all the outworking of the Spirit's coming at Pentecost to equip Jesus' church, to equip Jesus' disciples to reach out to the ends of the earth. We prayed earlier for our friend in the Middle East. We tend not to mention her by name up the front uh, as she works in a secure uh, country. She works there speaking about Jesus. The only reason that she can do that, that she can operate in that country, is because she's learned the local language. Learning another language continues the mission. I want to speak directly to the young people for a moment, if you're under 50... No, let's make it if you're under 20. If you're under 20, if if you haven't yet finished university, you are the best equipped in this room to be learning another language. Once you get past 21, brain cells start dying that make it very hard to learn language, except for incredibly gifted people. But while you're still under 21, it is much, much, much easier for you to learn another language. That's why kids can enjoy learning musical instruments, but adults who try to pick up a musical instrument when they're 40 uh, end up wrapping it around a tree. Young people, you're in the great place to learning languages, and in many of our schools, you'll have an opportunity to be learning language. Now, sometimes that can feel like a pretty dull and boring thing to do. It can feel like the class where you'd want to muck up. That was certainly my experience of school. Some of you are growing up with parents who are sharing with you a language that comes from their ethnic heritage and they might encourage you to be speaking that language at, at, at home or perhaps you even have to go to other tutoring or lessons. Going on in the school library today, I don't know if you know, but on Sunday afternoons there's a religious group meets here uh, that has uh, Hindu and Indian connections. In the library this morning is their annual language exam for their Sunday school. You might have similar kind of experiences in your ethnic heritage to hold on to that language and culture. I want to say, hang on to it. Young people, listen to mum and dad or your grandparents when they encourage you or give you the opportunity to have that connection to that language. I'm going to tell you about a man named Leon. We're going to meet Leon in a few weeks' time. He's going to come and be our guest preacher. He's also going to take part in our big day out this year. Leon grew up here in Canberra. Leon was born here in Canberra. He grew up here like any other Aussie uh, kid in the 1970s and 1980s. His parents are Slovenians. And they wanted him to hold on to his Slovenian heritage. Though he was growing up with mates who were called Robbo and Davo, he had to keep learning Slovenian. By the time Leon got to university, he had the opportunity to hear about Jesus for the first time. Leon became a Christian. He then went off to Bible college and was equipped there to become a missionary. And where did he go? Slovenia. He arrived in Slovenia knowing the culture, knowing the language, ready to go. He spent 20 years in Slovenia doing university ministry doing evangelism on the ground, introducing students to Jesus and equipping them to continue reaching out across the country. 20 years on today, there have been multiple churches planted in Slovenia because of this Canberran guy who grew up learning Slovenian here, was then saved at university and sent out. That's the Spirit's equipping. I find there's great encouragement for us here in the book of Acts. So easily I see my weaknesses and my inability to speak about Jesus. But at Pentecost, even when the Spirit himself does the talking, people reject the testimony. We see this right through Acts. If ever there was a day when God himself turned up on the scene and God was doing the evangelism through his people, see these guys who were there, they were speaking a language that they had never learned. They were even less equipped for it than I was to speak French. If ever there was a time when God turned up and God did the evangelizing, it was this. And still people rejected the testimony. They mocked, they made fun. And we'll see this continue to go on right through Acts and this is an encouragement to us, an encouragement to me to keep on speaking. To keep on speaking at every opportunity and with every enabling that the Spirit gives me. Because with the Spirit in us, we are equipped. Jesus gives his Holy Spirit to equip us to reach out beyond the fringe,